0: Well, thank you, Loft City Church worship team. We love you and uh, are just overjoyed to partner with you in building the kingdom in our city. So thank you. Um, Well, it's good to see everyone, to be here, to worship Jesus together as we sing, as we hear from God's word and feast on the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, I am being asked to dismiss our kiddos. And so if you are waiting to be dismissed, now is the time. Uh, There are some wonderful sisters and brothers back there that will guide you uh, to where you need to go. All right. Well, like I said, good to see you. Um, We are in a series in the book of Romans, and we have been uh, marching our way through this great letter to the church in Rome. And uh, we're excited about just the future of what God is seeking to, to teach us and, and, uh, and communicate to us. But we've been in this first section in the book of Romans. And in this first section, we are really asking us to, to, wait, to sit under the weight and reality of the truths of human sin, God's judgment, and God's wrath. And at times, it's been, it's been hard. It's been a little uncomfortable, but today marks the end of that first section. And Paul has been moving this argument to a conclusion, and we are reaching that conclusion today. And at, he started this section in verse 18 of chapter 1, where he says, The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of humanity. And he begins to unpack that in the first section of this larger section. And what we see in this passage is that we have an identity problem that's rooted in an idolatry problem that leads to a morality problem. The identity problem is that we are born in sin. Because of the sin of Adam, we have inherited a, a sinful heart, a heart that is prone to rebel and run away from God instead of to God. But that's rooted in an idolatry problem. Paul says that we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie And worship the creature over the creator. And that is ultimately what leads to a morality problem. And he discusses sexual brokenness. And the brokenness we see in human relationships. He talks about all kinds of ungodliness and unrighteousness. That shows up in envy, murder, gossips, disobedient to parents, ruthless, faithless. And as he's doing this, he realizes That the Jewish listener may be thinking something. Where do I fit in that? And in chapter 2, he addresses the Jewish listener. And he says, be careful, don't miss your sin. Because you can very easily become an expert in everyone else's sin and miss your own. And he invites the Jewish readers and he invites us to be aware of what's going on in our own hearts. Because we can become an expert in everyone else's sin except our own. And he's moving this argument and building this argument. And last week we looked at their tendency to wiggle out of the weight of God's righteousness. And we were invited to be still. Because when we're still, we become aware of who God is and how bad the problem is. And it's at this point that we come to our passage this morning. Paul's giving a verdict. He's concluding his argument in this first section And we're going to read it. It's in Romans 3, verses 9 to 20. And after I read it, uh, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And you're invited to say, thanks be to God. And this is a way that we together affirm that God has spoken. He has not left us in silence. And some weeks, saying that is easy. Some weeks, we read a passage and we say, thanks be to God. This week, it might be hard as we read this passage. And I'll be honest with you, as your pastor, this is a hard passage for me to sit before and think about preaching. And I'm gonna get to where I need to get because I've been called to preach this. And I believe there is wisdom and truth for us in this passage, but it's hard. There are hard realities that this passage touches on. And Paul is abundantly clear in his conclusion. And we want to sit in it, and we want to let it mess with us. And we want to thank God, because he is helping us understand how bad the problem really is. So I'll invite you to respond. Thanks be to God. Let's read this together. Romans 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path a ruin in misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pause right here having heard your word. We need you. We, we are needy in this moment. We want to hear from your word, but we know how easy it is to, to close up our ears, how easy it is to be distracted uh, by the worries of the world. So we ask, Father, hallowed be your name. Would you... Bring your kingdom to bear on this gathering right now. Your will be done in us. Give us the food, the spiritual food from this passage and help us. In the powerful name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, I pray, amen. So everybody probably here, I'm sure, can remember the storm in October of 2019. At the end of 2019, there was a terrible storm in North Texas. And part of that storm was a tornado that ripped through North Texas, like a sword slashing through the land. And you can go, uh, if you go in the area where the tornado was, you can actually see the wake of destruction in the trail of the tornado. And it destroyed homes, it displaced businesses, It was was destructive and violent and left damage. Some damage is still being repaired now. One of our sister churches, Northway Church, was devastated by the tornado. It ripped the roof of their sanctuary right off. And the surrounding schools was were just obliterated. And these high-impact storms are powerful. They have the power to destroy to uh, corrupt, to sweep across, and divide, and isolate. And what Paul is doing in this passage in Romans 3 is he's helping us understand the great power of sin. That sin, this tendency for humanity to rebel against God, creates a storm. It leads to a storm. And what he wants us to understand is that life without God is like a storm. Life without God produces destruction, violence, and division, and hurt and pain. And you don't need me to convince you of this, right? You don't need me to convince you that something is wrong with the world. You look on social media and you see it, you turn on the news. And you see it, you look at your own life, and you see the hurt and pain and division that happens in broken relationships. And what this means is that Romans 3 is not disconnected from our experience. I think sometimes when we come to a passage like this, and we read phrases like, Their throat is an open grave. We read a a, a phrase or a passage like this, and we think that it's detached from our experience. Because it's old. Paul's quoting psalms that were thousands and thousands of years ago. And so we can read a passage like this and feel like it's disconnected from our world. But my hope for today is that we would see how this passage provides wisdom and reality and truth for our experience on the earth, that that life without God is like a storm. It produces destruction, division, fighting, and violence. And Paul in this passage is concluding. He's, in a a way, he's giving his closing argument to this first section in Romans. In this first section, he is making the argument that all of humanity is under sin, that all of humanity is separated from God and rebelling against God, and therefore are all worthy of his judgment and his wrath. And this passage is his closing argument, and he gives a verdict Life without God is like a storm. And that storm starts at home. That storm starts in our own hearts. And the way he proves that and uses that is he talks about the damage and hurt of our words. Look at verse 13. He says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Paul, he he takes these different pieces from different psalms and arranges this section. And he's giving his verdict. And he's helping us understand that life without God is like a storm. And with this section, he's really trying to get us to wrap our head around the personal dimension of this storm. It's easy for us to look at the storm and the brokenness of the world and to miss the connection that we have, the participation that we have with this storm. And he helps us understand that by looking at the hurtfulness, the power, the damage that words can have. And he helps us see that that sin is powerful because it's pervasive. And he uses all of these phrases The tongue, the throat, the lips, all of it. He's trying to help us understand that all of your words, all of your mouth, everything that comes out is broken, is sinful, is uh, capable of doing damage and destruction and hurt. And he talks about how the words deceive, they hurt, they curse, they put down. And Paul does this because he knows what Jesus knows. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And the the words, he, he focused on the words that go into the heart. And what we find is that the corruption of sin is deep. It's within us. It is a heart problem. And he wants us to understand our participation in the storm, in the sinful rebellion that humanity is participating in. And this is maybe where the storm analogy breaks down, right? If, I, I mean, we don't, we don't control the weather, but Paul is trying to help us understand that we do, we do participate, we do contribute to this storm. I don't know if you've ever seen someone fly a drone. Uh, they have this little control panel and they're flying the drone up there. And what Paul's really trying to help us understand is that we all have like a drone controller over the weather over this sinful, broken world that, is, uh, that we're involved in. Oh, you, you want to criticize me in front of my friends? Let me, okay, Boop. rain down lightning on you as I destroy your reputation uh, behind your back. And we use words to destruct. We use words to, uh, to accomplish our self-will. And Paul is trying to help us understand that the storm starts in our own hearts. It starts with our words. As we look at the way that we talk about others, as the way that we try and hurt others, as the way that we try and repay a wrong that we feel has been done to us. And we see this all over. I mean, you look on Twitter. All you got to do is go to the comment section on Twitter and see the destructiveness of our words and the way we talk about people we don't like or the way we talk about someone who's hurt us. Words have great power. But it's, it's often easy for us to, to understand the hurtfulness and damage of like that aggressive, hostile word. But I think, I think there's more that we can glean from this passage. One of the things that I love uh, to think about and talk about is the, the power of our stories. And in, we have a class here at Mosaic that's all about uh, emotional health and trying to rethink our stories. And in passage, what I tell people is that everybody has a story. Everybody in this room has a story. But what we often miss is that everybody actually lives from their story. The decisions we make in the present, the plans we make, the the aspirations and dreams, they can all be traced back into a a part of our story. And in passage, what we're trying to do is help people become aware so then they can re-narrate their story under God's big story. But there's so much in our stories that we could look back on and see the power of words. How the way someone talked about something shaped the way that we view the world or the way we view ourselves. There's a podcast I like and, and when, uh, there was a guy talking about this moment where he had graduated college and he was having a conversation with his dad and he was, he was like, dad, I got a lot, of great, um, a lot of great options, a lot of great choices, but what should I do? and this young man uh, probably in his early 20s he's excited he's on the brink of starting his life he just graduated college and he's asking his dad this really really important question and his dad responded well i don't know but i know arnold men don't make great leaders and they just went about what he whatever he was doing and he said it very flippantly and this guy talked about how significant that idea and that phrase, as he thought about his dad's life, oh, yeah, like, my dad's not a great leader. He's kind of stayed in the same spot. His career really hasn't done much. Maybe I am not capable of doing that. And you see the destruction. It's subtle, but it's there. And it happens all the time in our relationships. As we parent, as we work With people and a supervisor says something and you're like, oh yeah, maybe that's true. I don't know. Our words are powerful and our words can have this destructive influence on the earth. So it starts with each person, but then it travels to the community. Paul talks about this social dimension in verses 15 to 17. He says, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. And Paul here is drawing from Old Testament passages, drawing from the prophets. And because of the original context of the passage and the graphic imagery of shedding blood and ruin and misery, what Paul is likely drawing attention to is the way in which there's, there's destruction we participate in on human relationships and societies through injustice through the mistreatment of the vulnerable and he's trying to help us to understand that the worst example of this storm this power and dominating influence of sin on the earth it shows up in the mistreatment of the vulnerable as we run over the vulnerable for the sake of our own accomplishments And he's trying to help us to understand that the power of sin, the domination of sin, the enslavement of sin on humanity, it corrupts everything about the earth. It corrupts everything about our relationships, about our communities, about our societies, about our businesses. And what that means is that it it infects all of it and leads to destruction, leads to violence, leads to hurt. And Paul points in this passage to the way, the way of humanity, the lifestyle, the decisions, the priorities in the world that would harm others. And essentially, the way that verse 16 really reads is that their paths are actually ruin, their paths are actually misery as they participate in the power of sin and this rebellion as they live their life without God on the earth, they are walking in this way. And, and I think, I mean, even right here, as we look at this passage and we think about the phrase, their feet in their past and the way of peace they have not known, it's important for us to recognize he's talking to us. He's talking to men and women on the earth who have been dominated by the power of sin. He says, we have charged all, Jew or Greek, everyone. It doesn't matter your spiritual heritage. It doesn't matter your job in the world. That Maybe you're a, a doctor and you're helping people and you're doing great things on the earth. Paul is saying, all are under sin. And he's wanting you, he's wanting you to see the connection between this passage and your own heart. And that is hard. Because we hear these horrible stories in the news and we see this really nasty stuff on Twitter and we think that the storm is out there. But Paul is trying to connect the storm to our own hearts. The spirit of violence is all around us. Their feet are swift to shed blood. It's hard to recognize the connection that John McHale, my home, my household, is participating in the way of shedding blood on the earth. And I might not even see it. I definitely don't want to acknowledge it. But Paul is trying to help us understand that there's a connection. And we, as God's people, with the help of the Spirit and the comfort of the gospel, need to be careful. We need to become aware. And this is what we're trying to do as we address racial violence in our country. As we address greed and corruption in our businesses. We want to become aware of how we might be participating in the shedding of blood. Because the spirit of violence is all around us. Is it not? Do you not feel that? Is violence not a great description of our world? Of our experience on the earth? as people prioritize the pursuit of money and power over the needs of their neighbor, as they participate in racial violence or dismiss its even presence, as people hurt children through abuse and abortion, their feet are swift to shed blood. Their path A ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. And it's because of this personal dimension, the hurtful words, and the social dimension, the violence and corruption and the shedding of blood all around us that Paul pronounces the verdict. He gives us the verdict, and he says, No one, none, not one is righteous. No one has standing before a righteous God. Because they have participated in life without God that leads to a storm on the earth. He says none is righteous. No one understands. They don't get it. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless or useless to God in their rebellion. No one does good. No one is kind. No one considers the other over themselves. Not even God. One. Paul could not be more clear here. If you were wanting clarity, he gives it to you. In his repetition, no, no, not one, none, all, together. They have all. And it's really, really important that we understand what he's saying. What he is saying is even though, even though the power of sin has terrible personal, and social consequences, sin is fundamentally a theological problem. The source, the germ, the the seed of the corruption on the earth and the storm is fundamentally a theological problem, and he gives it to us in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that unlocks the whole passage There is no fear of God before their their eyes. They have given themselves to living their life wholeheartedly without God. They have no knowledge of God. They have no desire to worship God. They have no desire to sit before God and allow God to speak into their life and live how he is calling them to live. They have all gone astray. And we see the arc of the power of sin on the earth As we look at retrace our steps, it starts with that there's no fear of God. There is no consideration of God. There is no desire to reshape our lives according to God's ways. And that leads to personal and social consequences. That leads to destruction. That leads to violence on the earth. That leads to uh, marginalizing the vulnerable for the sake of our own gain. And ultimately, it leads to our standing with God. That no one is righteous. Not even one. No one seeks God. No one understands. No one gets it. Do, do you, is, that, is that true? Do you feel that? Because sometimes I read that and I say, really? Not a single person on the earth seeks after God? Do you know what you're saying, Paul? No one on the earth is righteous. But he is convinced because he has learned from God that all stand unrighteous before God. Even if you have lived a good life, you have given to the right charities, you have talked kindly about your neighbor, God says, you're unrighteous. There is nothing you can do because the power of sin is too great. We are powerless before the power of sin. We are caught up in this thing, and our heart is poisoned and infected with sin. That means that we participate in creating this storm. We are powerless. It's like if someone, a tornado, saw a tornado coming, and they're like, hey, I'm going to go take this net and try and catch that tornado. It's ridiculous. And that's what Paul's trying to help us understand, that we are powerless. We have no ability to address the sin problem. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. All Jew and Gentile are under sin and are dominated by the power and pervasiveness of this sin. And we actively and willingly give ourselves to living our lives without God, and that leads to a storm on the earth. That is Romans 3. But if you, if you hear one thing, I want you to hear this. That what Paul is driving towards. What, why is Paul so direct and so clear? Because he wants you to get one thing. He wants you to understand one thing. And one thing only. That only God can save us from the power of sin. Only God can break the power of sin. This passage is meant to help us understand our neediness before God. That there is nothing we can do to fix it. That only God can break this power. There must be a greater power than the power of sin. And we're going to get there right in the next verse. Verse 21 of Romans 3. But now. But now, there is a righteousness manifested apart from the law. But now, we are powerless, but God is providing righteousness. God is coming down to earth to make us aware. And to ultimately solve our problem. And what Jesus does in the cross and the resurrection. And ultimately his return is he breaks the great power of sin. And that is what we need to hear from Romans 3. Is that we are powerless. That we are woven into the storm. And we are participating in the storm. But God has provided a power greater Than the power of sin. And his name is Jesus. And he looks at the storm. And he says be still. And the storm stops. And he goes to the cross. And he solves the problem. And breaks the power of sin. And that is what we want to treasure. In our hearts as God's people. And celebrate together. Let's pray. God we thank you. For Jesus, we thank you for a power that is greater than the power of sin. You have come in the person of Jesus, and you have done a great work. I pray that you would help us as we wrestle with this really uh, challenging passage. Would you feed us with the truthfulness of your word and remind us of our great need for Jesus? We love you, and we trust you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to move into a time of communion. So if you want to stand up, and I invite the band up.